0: him walking us through Hebrews 11. He will pick that up next week. John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you, see- what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And as you do, let us together go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that you invite us to come. That even at your invitation, you invite us to to honestly reflect what are we seeking when we come to you. God, would you open our eyes to our own hearts this morning. To what it is that we are seeking and to honestly confess that we can only find it in you. May my words be faithful as the preacher. May your people be faithful to hear this morning we ask in Christ's name. Amen. With the popularity of social media, we do a lot of following these days. We follow family and friends on Instagram to keep up with their lives and allow them to keep up with our own lives. We follow do-it-yourself experts to tackle those home improvement projects or those repairs that we simply don't want to pay someone else to do. We follow our favorite teams or reporters to give us the most up-to-date information, who's injured, who's in, who's out, when is the coach going to get fired. We follow our favorite musicians, authors, churches, speakers for their newest material, their newest content, concert dates, updates, and the like. We even follow complete strangers we know nothing about, simply because they regularly post entertaining content that never makes us fail to laugh. I follow plenty of those types of folks, and it is a joy to sit there and just laugh at them. And some of you send them to me as well, and I appreciate that. There would appear to be no limit to our following ways. Both the quantity of the things we follow and our use of the term itself have exponentially increased just in the last handful of years. And our passage this morning from John 1 should fit nicely then with our follow-heavy age. For it fixates on this idea of following. However, it's not concerned about following any person or anything. And it's certainly not concerned about the superficial ways we follow things in the social media heavy age that we live in. No, the Apostle John is giving us a picture of what it means to follow the only person who is truly worth following. And that is Jesus Christ. From John, we will see that a disciple of Jesus eagerly follows him because of who he is. A disciple of Jesus eagerly follows Jesus because of who he is. Now, over the course of this week, I was extremely indecisive with my points, so they didn't make the bulletin. Let me give them to you now. There are three. First, we'll look at the identification. Then the inquiry. They're all eyes. And then finally, the invitation. That's the identification, the inquiry, and the invitation. Together, these will hopefully map the progression that we see in this short little episode in John's gospel, where Jesus is revealed as he is, which then fosters this growing enthusiasm from these two early disciples. And may we then learn to share in their fervor and their passion as we hopefully seek to faithfully follow this same Jesus revealed to us in the pages of his word. First, we begin with the identification. This episode starts with John the Baptist calling the attention of his two disciples in the direction of Jesus. Look with me, if you will, at verse 36. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And to his credit, John is not interested in hoarding his disciples. Because if he was, this is a terrible strategy for keeping your disciples to yourself. Point out somebody else who's better than you. No, John fully understood his role as the forerunner to the Christ. As the friend of the bridegroom. For remember, it was John who would later say in John chapter 3 that I must decrease He must increase. And in fact, at this moment in time, John is on his third straight day of either talking about Jesus or explicitly pointing out Jesus. In verses 19 through 28, John emphatically denies that he himself is the Christ when the religious leaders come and ask him. He goes further and says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal strap, which was the task of a slave. And then in verses 29 and 34, John makes this same declaration we read here, except he adds the caveat of, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he recounts the spectacular events that happened at Jesus' baptism. And this third day that we see starting in verse 35 almost unfolds like Groundhog's Day, except the audience, instead of it being a loud crowd, seems to be just these two disciples and once again they observe John the Baptist looking at Jesus and publicly identifying him as the Lamb of God and actually it's it's slightly more private testimony you can almost picture John kind of nudging his two disciples as Jesus walks by and saying him right there that's him that's the Lamb of God And why does John leave out that extra tag that we read in verse 29? We don't know. Maybe the privacy of the moment didn't demand who takes away the sin of the world. Maybe John was satisfied with his testimony given yesterday that these two disciples likely heard. But whatever the case, the testimony does not change. John makes it clear that man, Jesus, is the Lamb of God. And what exactly is John trying to emphasize with that phrase? Actually, there's a lot of debate about how much John the Baptist knew when it comes to the idea of the Lamb of God. And it's hard for us to unpack all that John might have known, because the truth is that even Jesus' own disciples, their understanding of who Jesus was would be an ever-evolving thing the more they spent time with him. It would take Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit for them to fully understand who Jesus was as the Lamb. So we can't simply just read what we understand and even what maybe the Apostle John understood and attribute that to what John the Baptist is proclaiming. What we can say safely is that the Lamb of God would certainly evolve the idea of a sacrifice for sin. John knew that much. He was identifying Jesus that in some way, some shape, or some form, he would handle the problem with sin. So even with John's potentially limited understanding, we cannot miss the significance of who this individual is that he's pointing to in the middle of a crowd. Jesus is the lamb who would deal with sin. He is the son of God, chosen by God, empowered by his spirit to do a work specifically and uniquely given to him. And so John's identification, while not fully developed, is fully clear. Jesus is someone altogether different, and he is someone worth following. If he wasn't, why else would he point his disciples in his direction? Which then leads then to the disciples' response. It's simple. they follow Jesus. The disciples heard John say this, and they follow Jesus. They hear him say, that man's the lamb. They turn and go. Did they have a full understanding of who Jesus was? No. Were they able to secure a fuller biography or click his About Me tab and get a better understanding of who this Jesus character is? No. They heard the testimony of John, and they ran with it. They believed Jesus to be exactly what John proclaimed him to be, and that was enough for them to go further. That was enough for them to make the move, to leave the forerunner, not out of spite or not out of competition, but because they recognized that this man was something better, something greater, the one whom John had come to reveal. And we need to understand that that's not typically how we human beings behave. We typically like a little bit more intel, a little bit more information before we willingly move in a direction. I remember back at a Phillies game in college where in the midst of the game there was rumors that at least three celebrities were at that game and actually they all were in the area where I was. There were rumblings There were a head turning in every direction trying to spot them, trying to find them. There was plenty of people pointing. They're over there. They're over here. But eventually, one person had to go and actually check it out. There was a confirmation that was begging to be had because no one would dare get up out of their seats to go engage that person if they proved not to be who everyone said it was. No one was going to trust one person saying, hey, X is here. Only after someone went and said, no, they really are here, did people start flocking and pulling out their cameras. This was early smartphone days, so people actually still had cameras and less phones. But then the flocking started, then the people started bum-rushing these people to get pictures, to engage with them, and I felt bad for them for about a minute. But these two disciples, we see that they don't need such confirmation. They don't need to go investigate first and then decide, they go. John said Jesus is the Lamb of God. They're following him as the Lamb of God. Without hesitation. And without oversimplifying it for us, the implication for this first point, it is simply to receive the testimony that scripture says about who Jesus is. Because unlike the disciples, we have a lot more to work with. We have more than just, Behold the Lamb of God. In John's gospel alone, we are told a great deal of things about who Jesus is. Just in chapter 1, we see he's the eternal word of God, who was with God at the very beginning, who is God, through whom all things are created. We find later in John chapter 1 that he is the word of God who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And then as we continue in John's gospel, we find he's the Lamb of God, he's the Christ, he's the Son of God, Son of Man, living water, bread of life, light of the world, good shepherd, resurrection and the life, our Lord and our God, and that's just to name a few. And then John closes his gospel by saying, and by by believing in this Jesus, the Son of God, you may have life in his name. And that's just what John has to say. Pastor Tim has only been adding to our understanding as he has been fleshing out for us what Hebrews alone has to say about Jesus. We should seek to know Jesus as he's revealed to his word, to receive him as he is held out before us in the pages of scripture. Because the truth is, brothers and sisters, we live in a day where the testimony of scripture is not being received, even by self-proclaimed evangelicals. You may not be aware, but there was a recent study sent out just a couple weeks ago by Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research where they combined to look at specifically the beliefs of evangelicals. People who proclaim that Jesus is the way to salvation, that evangelism is necessary. And this is some of the things that they found, 43% agree that Jesus was a great teacher, but not God. Seventy percent believe Jesus is the first and greatest created being by God. And 56 percent agree that God accepts all forms of worship from any religion. And I could go on, but these directly relate to the person of Jesus Christ as it's revealed to us in Scripture. And these are just a few of the, I'll be honest, the shocking and depressing findings from this survey. Disciples are called to receive Christ as he's revealed to us in his word. Not how our finite minds think he should be. And certainly not how this culture says we need to think about Jesus. So may we be like these two disciples. Receiving the testimony that is given to us and then eagerly following Jesus. And after this identification, then we move to the inquiry. Jesus, as he is always faithful to do throughout all the gospel accounts, engages these two men who suddenly appear behind him, following him. He's not oblivious to their arrival. He's not like, oh, where did you guys come from? I didn't see you. He's not disinterested in their pursuit, like, I got these people following me again. He actually doesn't even wait for them to ask him something like, hey, where are we going? Or do you mind if we tag along for a little bit, just to kind of see what's going on? No, Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter by asking them one very simple yet profound question. What are you seeking? Now, I wholeheartedly believe, as many scholars do, that there are two levels to Jesus' question. I think Tim even hinted that earlier. And I'm going to flesh out these two levels to help us understand this this inquiry of Jesus. The first level reflects the most obvious. Jesus is simply asking them, what do you want? And it's not in a mean-spirited or annoyed tone, but genuinely. He knows these two men likely have questions for him. He knows that they are understanding they're probably in way over their heads. And so he's offering them help as they begin to follow him. It's no different than when you and I, we probably don't do this much anymore, but when we walk into that clothing store or that shoe store, and we try not to make eye contact with the salesperson, but they've seen us, and we're waiting for them to ask that question, how can I help you? And then we have to answer it, usually, which is, no, I'm good, I'm just looking that's essentially what Jesus is asking, how can I help you? That salesperson, they're not looking for your life story. If you start telling it to them, they might quickly stop helping you. They're not wishing for you to bare your soul to them right then and right there. No, they just want to see if they can help you find what it is you're looking for. A shoe, a shirt, a new pair of pants. And we see that in the answer that the disciples give, it actually reveals their understanding at this first level. They respond by saying, Rabbi, where are you staying? We're familiar with the title of Rabbi, but D.A. Carson writes, "This, this is what it means, it was a title used by respectful people to those they recognized as public teachers of divine subject matter. What do these two disciples want? They want a teacher. They want someone to tell them more. They had one in John, and John said, there's a better one over here. And they went and followed the better one. And also, in in, in addition to a teacher, they want to learn from him, which requires intimacy, which requires fellowship, which is why they say, where are you staying? We want to learn at your feet. We want to sit. We want to study. We want to know. They want a teacher who will instruct them about who God is and what he commands. And so at this first level for us, is this what we want as we follow Jesus? Do we want to learn from him? Do we want to sit at his feet regularly as he instructs us in the way that we should go? Do we want to learn the wisdom that he has, the wisdom that he is, The wisdom that Bruce read for us from Proverbs chapter 1. Because this is what the disciples wanted. And it's what we should want, just as fervently, as desperately as they did. Then we get to the second level of this question that sinks even deeper. Jesus, by asking, what are you seeking, is plumbing the depths of their very souls. And I think the ESV captured this well by sticking to the Translation as literal as possible, by just saying, what are you seeking? It's the language of desire, the language of longing. What is it that your heart cries out for? Bethany and I have been watching the new Lord of the Rings series, The Rings of Power, and without revealing too much or getting into my personal feelings about it, the show is really all about the different groups and what they desire most. You have some that desire to see evil purged, some desire just to survive, some desire security and wealth, some vengeance, some a home. Some want recognition and glory. And all of these desires are at play, and they're mixing, and they're leading people to do all sorts of different things, both good and bad. And Jesus, by asking them what they desire, is confronting them. He's telling them they need to recognize what is going on in their hearts. Again, he's not being two-faced or cruel in this question. He's not trying to exploit them or to shame them. He's basically saying, what are you seeking by seeking me? And the truth is, he already knows the answer. For John would write at the end of chapter 2 that Jesus knew all people. Specifically, what's on the inside. So, Jesus isn't asking them, waiting to be shocked by what they were to tell him. He knows. He's trying to have them put it into words or at least consider it because maybe they haven't considered it to this point. And the truth is, their answer was probably wildly complex. I think we get a glimpse of it in verse 41 when one of the disciples goes to his brother and says, We've found the Messiah. On one level, this is what they desired, the deliverance that would come by God's anointed one. And we could speculate a lot more about what they wanted, what they desired, but it would be speculation. But at the very least, this question, what are you seeking, would have made them stop and consider, what is it that I really want? Because whatever it was, it would eventually be exposed for being good and genuine. Or that which would have to die for them to truly follow Jesus. And so the implication for us on this second deeper level question is straightforward. It is to answer or at the very least consider Jesus's question. What are you A.W. Pink said it well when he he wrote on this text, and I quote, "'What Jesus wants is the heart, "'the heart that seeks him for himself. "'The true answer to this question "'reveals your spiritual state. "'Let no one suppose that that he is not seeking anything. "'Such were an impossibility. "'Every heart has its object. "'If your heart is not set upon Christ himself,' It is set upon something which is not Christ. And so then to any here this morning who have not placed their faith in Jesus, he is asking you, what are you seeking? And if it is not him, I would invite you to come, talk to me, talk to Pastor Tim, talk to any of the men you will see later on passing out the bread and the wine they would be glad to give you a fuller testimony of who Jesus is and what it means to follow him in joy and obedience. Because whether you are aware of it or not, he is what your heart desires most. And following him is what you and what I were created for. And to those of you here this morning who claim faith in Christ, who claim to be following after him, Jesus still asks you the same question. What are you seeking? Because you know as well as I do, we are not always the most faithful disciples. We are constantly wandering. We are constantly enticed by the things of this world, the things of our own flesh. We seek pleasure, we seek belonging, we seek accolades, we seek ease, success. We even seek morality. And morality only in following Jesus, instead of a deeper relationship, a deeper understanding of who He is as our Savior. The truth is that growing in Him is often the last thing that we're seeking, even as we're following Him. And again, Jesus is not asking to shame us or to make us feel weighed down by guilt. He certainly is asking us to examine ourselves and even to confess our lack of truly seeking Him. But He's also asking that so that by His Spirit we might be motivated and encouraged to seek Him for who He is and what He has to offer. And that offer then leads perfectly into our last point the invitation. In His kindness and in His compassion, After asking these men, what do you seek? Jesus invites them in verse 39, come and you will see. And if you're wondering, yes, there are two levels to this response as well. And again, that first level is obvious. Jesus literally welcomes them to come over to wherever it is that he's staying and to spend the evening with him. And the second half of verse 39 gives us the very non-specific specifics. So they came, they saw where he was staying, they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. There's nothing overly spectacular going on here. John says it was late, about 4 p.m., the time when everyone starts preparing for evening, the close of day. So Jesus invites them over. We don't know where he's staying. The two men wanted to see where and Jesus says, here's where I'm staying. Come and learn from me. And that's exactly what they received. They received, they got what they paid for. <laughs> Jesus, where are you staying? Come see. And it's, it's likely probable, I'm, I'm going to argue it happened, that they, prob- they share a meal together. They conversed with each other. And I bet they enjoyed it greatly. It's probably a wonderful evening of dining with Jesus. It would be a fly on that wall. But beyond that, the Apostle John is light on the details, and I believe it's intentionally so. Because for one, Jesus himself in Matthew's gospel would confess, I have no place to rest my head. So there's, there's nothing extravagant about the place where Jesus is staying. And also I think it's intentional because this is only the beginning of John's gospel. He's got a handful of more chapters to go. And in those chapters, we're going to see a lot more about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. So John's not going to spoil it here by unpacking the details of what these disciples are about to come and see. So whatever was discussed or revealed during this evening of fellowship is probably going to be unfolding as John's account goes on. Which then brings us to that second level of Jesus' invitation. Because come and see is not a one-time invitation it's not Jesus saying why don't you come over to my house we'll have some food we'll watch the game we'll have a good time and then you guys can go back to your lives no the two men even in them saying we want to know where you were staying have no idea what they're asking because that word staying is the same word in John 15 that Jesus uses to talk about disciples who remain with him Where Jesus would say, abide, stay, remain in me, and I in you. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides, stays, remains in me, and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So come and see was a direct response to whatever it is these these men would have identified as the deeper answer to Jesus' question. What are you seeking? Jesus, this is what I'm seeking. Come and see. Whatever it was, they were going to be invited to find it, and so much more in Jesus. Here they were being offered for more than what they paid for, more than what they possibly could have imagined. And we know this because we get a glimpse of it just the next morning, where the first thing that one of them does, it proves to be Andrew, is he goes to tell his brother, happens to be Peter, we have found the Messiah. If this is what they hoped for, they got it. If this is not what they hoped for, they still got it. And was it a full-fledged understanding of what Jesus as the Messiah would come to do? No, John's gospel is going to show that the disciples are going to consistently trip over their own feet, put their feet in their own mouths. But in time, they would learn. And then from there, his brother, Peter, would get a new name to emphasize what it is that Jesus does for those who come and see. He prepares them for the task he's going to give them to be his disciples. And if that were not enough, let me just run through a short list of the things these men would see by accepting Jesus' invitation. They would see, just in John's account, water turned to wine, 5,000 people fed with five loaves and two fish. They would see a sick child near death, a lifelong invalid, and a blind, lifelong blind man all healed. They would see Jesus walking on water in the midst of a storm. And it would culminate and they would see Lazarus, a man three days dead, walk out of the grave. Doesn't stop there. Then they would see their master humbly wash their feet as he prepared for the unjust arrest and horrific death of his crucifixion. To pay the penalty for their sin and all who trust in him. But still not to be outdone. They would also see him then rise from the dead three days later appear to them alive, then ascend before their very eyes into the throne of heaven and pour out his spirit upon all who trust in him, enabling them to then follow him faithfully as his disciples. This, and so much more, is what Jesus was inviting them to when he said, Come and see. What a glorious invitation they were given and what a glorious invitation you and I have been given as well. And so again, the application is right there for us. Come and see. There's no catch. There's no strings attached. There's no fine print waiting to be slapped on us once we follow. Jesus is inviting us to come, to follow, to learn, to grow in him. And then see his power and his glory on display. It's an invitation like we heard at the end of Proverbs chapter 1. To come, to listen, and to dwell secure. Please don't hear me wrong. Following Jesus is not a call to ease or a call to comfort. It is ultimately a call to come and die. We know this in places like Luke chapter 9. If anyone would come after me, let him deny his stealth, take up his cross and follow me. Following Jesus will be hard. Look to the disciples for all the proof you need. It will demand that we have to say no to certain things that we may want most. It will command that we wage war against the sin, the power of the indwelling sin still within us by the power of his spirit and his word. It will call us to constantly examine our own motivations and our own desires. What is it that we want as we follow Jesus? Do we want him for who he is? Or do we want him for something else? However, even with that call to die to sin and to self, we are given a promise. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Andrew, Peter, and this unnamed disciple accepted Jesus' invitation. And what they saw was ultimately the Son of God unveiled to them in all his glory for the very purpose of redeeming them as his own people. They would experience the life-transforming reality of trusting in, following Christ as Savior and Lord. It went much further than just a name change. And Jesus offers us each that same invitation, to come and you will see. So will you take him up on his offer? Will you follow him? Not haphazardly, not reluctantly, not because your parents or your friends want you to do it, not even because it seems like it's the right thing to do. Do it because Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away sin, your sin, the crucified, raised, and ascended Son of God, he himself is inviting you to come. There is no better invitation you will ever be given. There is no better person you could possibly follow. truth is there are countless people causes and things this world is calling out for us to follow and some of them are good and worthy of our following and it goes far beyond just our social media pages and whether we like it or not or we want to admit it or not we will follow something may it be jesus today tomorrow every day till he returns May it be the one who graciously and continuously invites us to come to him. We're about to partake of His table, which is an invitation for us to come. May it be the Lamb of God who was slain, but now stands, as John would say in Revelation 5, worthy to receive power and wealth, wisdom and might, honor and glory and blessing. A disciple of Jesus eagerly follows him because of who he is. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we come to you acknowledging that we are seeking a whole myriad of things. Some of them good, some of them not so good. But God, we confess that what we are truly seeking is found in Christ and in him alone. And would you forgive us for where we have sought things beyond him, or outside of him. Would you help us to be his faithful disciples, to follow him eagerly because of who he is, the lamb that was slain, but who is now reigning at your right hand. May that give us joy in worship. May that give us motivation to follow you, to be your faithful disciples, to be your witnesses, proclaiming, behold the lamb of God who takes away sin. May it be to the glory of your name we ask. In Christ's name, the Lamb who was slain, amen.